0: The views, information, and opinions expressed are those of the featured guests and not those of IG
1: Wealth Management. I'm Manjeet Minhas, one of Canada's top entrepreneurs, and so excited for you to join us today. Through a wealth of women's stories, IG is carving out a space where women's voices are heard. If you're looking for insight and inspiration through powerful storytelling that will resonate with anyone looking for the answers to the questions that we as women ask ourselves, then this series is for you. Today, we're speaking with Alyssa Davies, founder of Mixed Up Money, Alyssa's award-winning Canadian personal finance website launched in 2015, a time when the only things that existed in her life were nightclubs, clothing stores, and debt. Through life's milestones, her financial life changed dramatically. As a woman who believes in financial equality, it became extremely important for her to be vocal in acknowledging the difficulties women face and provide the tools needed to succeed and be heard. She's been featured in the Globe and Mail, Flair, Global News, and last year published her first book, The 100-Day Financial Goal Journal. Neither a a certified financial planner, a certified public accountant, or an expert in any type of finance, she's made money easy and fun in a way that allows her and her readers to relate. Welcome to the show, Alyssa.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for having me.
1: No problem. Great to see you again. We've definitely had the pleasure of working together before, so I'm really looking forward to our discussion today because you not only are so relatable, but I really love your story and your story is evolving because as uh, I heard, you have another baby, which I haven't been able to meet yet, but congratulations. Maybe you can uh, start out with uh, sharing a bit of your background so our listeners can get to know you too.
0: Of course. So I am a personal finance writer. So essentially I take really complex money topics and I break them down into relatable and easily digestible nuggets for people like me who find these types of conversations really, really overwhelming. Um, And I saw the need for a judgment-free and open space for women to actually feel comfortable with all things money. And it's become a huge passion of mine. So I've now been blogging and writing about money for six years. I've released one book and I have a second book coming out in 2022.
1: Fantastic. And so talk to me about your education. Like what was your background? Were you, um, was your family good or bad with money? Or when you were growing up, did you have an allowance? Were you a saver? So similar to you, Manjeet, I actually
0: am self-taught in money. I have no traditional background in that sense. I actually have a communications degree and my background is in journalism. So that's what I think helps me break down a lot of these more complex topics. Um, But as far as family life, we never really had any issues with, with money in my household. It was just more something we didn't really talk about. There was no allowance. There was no... You know, need to know that things weren't going well or things were going well. So when I finally stepped out onto my own and started doing things with money, that's when I really started to learn those tough lessons of, oh, I actually do need to save for things. And it's actually harder to save than I ever really realized because my family made it seem
1: like everything was okay all the time. Got it. And I think that's probably most people's stories. Our, you know, parents didn't really share necessarily much with us um, at a young age, and we we didn't really know how to deal with money because we were never taught it in school, unfortunately. Um, growing up, definitely here in Alberta. So your website features content about being a mom, overcoming personal debt, home ownership. And how to get away with affording your ridiculously expensive latte habit, uh, which I totally (laughs) have myself gotten into over the pandemic. Um, But so talk to me about maybe why you think your approach to financial advice is so popular with your followers. Is it because you're touching on topics that everybody is dealing with and, and that you're really not making it hard to understand?
0: Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it, but I also think that money is primarily an industry that's dominated by men, which in some situations can make women feel really unsafe or intimidated, like they can't open up and ask questions. And when you find someone you can relate to and that doesn't intimidate you or judge you for your financial decisions, I think that's what we all want when we first start our money journey. So I like to help others find that same space. And quite honestly, I just think I make money a little bit less boring Uh, Per se, because it's a misconception that money isn't fun at all. And knowing what I know today, I think that it's quite the opposite. I think there are so many exciting parts about money. And once you finally have a grasp on those concepts, it makes it really exciting to actually see how far you can go and how much wealth you can actually build.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I was completely self-taught too. Um, I, I actually <laughs> hired a professional accountant when I got into business um, in my first year of engineering to teach me how to read a balance sheet, how to like, what are the basic terms? Like, how do I calculate cost of goods? Like, what are what is depreciation? Like all these great things. Because we are never taught that. And I completely agree with you. It can be fun because it can be so enabling. It can give you freedom of choice to understand what decisions you're making and the power to make those decisions. And so I do agree with you in that um, so many people find it challenging and scary, and it's a daunting task to learn. But once you do, it is a very enlightening and can be very freeing in a sort of way um, that I don't think many people really expect it to be. And not only because of debt. And so um, how old were you when you started this journey? So I was
0: 25 years old when I started my blog and it was a couple of days only after I started my new role because I realized that I needed some help. And so I went home and I Googled, you know, how do I manage my money, which is something that I think we've all Googled at some point. And I found a couple of other blogs that were local to Calgary and Alberta. And I realized there was an entire community there. And I started to jump into the idea that I could share my story, I could hold myself accountable and I could make talking about money a little bit more
1: comfortable. And and so what's your definition of managing your money?
0: So I think managing your money, a lot of the times it comes down to actually having a budget because most people think they don't need a budget, they don't want a budget, but what they don't realize is whether you have one or not, you are on a budget. It's whatever you have coming in, whatever you have going out, those things really matter. And so learning how to actually take control of those dollars is a huge way to take control of how you spend and how you save your money.
1: It's very true. Uh, People think that uh, if you're wealthy, whatever your definition of wealthy is, that you don't have a budget. But no, you're completely correct because, um, you know, I tell people that all the time. The reason that I have become wealthy is because I stuck to a budget and and that I am, in a lot of cases, really cheap. But also, um, I I actually watch what I spend. And I think most people would definitely tell you that because no matter who you are and what situation, um, you're in money is an infinite and it comes and goes at different times and in, in different speeds. So, yeah, very, very true.
0: And are you even cheap or are you do you just know what you love and you spend on those things and you choose not to spend on other things? Well,
1: very true. My daughter calls me cheap, so I'll go <laughs> today because <laughs> I seem to be saying no a lot to her these days.
0: <laughs> Fair enough.
1: <laughs> um, so, As you're aware, and I hope many women are aware, there is this great wealth transfer. Um, that is happening. And there's a fundamental change happening among us. And that is the wealth management landscape is shifting towards women, which is fantastic. Um, And it's referred to, uh, as I mentioned, the great wealth transfer. And so women are set to control about 93 trillion with a T um, in wealth globally and reach almost 40% of all wealth in North America by 2023, which is not that far away. So Mm -hmm. this is definitely an unprecedented time in history for women. And so do you feel that this is something that women are ready and prepared for? It's a great
0: question. That number, just hearing that number is overwhelming for me even. So I would say yes and no. I think women are always ready to learn and begin to take control of their money, no matter what stage you're at, whether you've started or you haven't gotten there yet. But I think that we need the right tools and the right people to actually guide us to make the best possible choices, because I think women have a lot on their plate all the time. Like we know that as moms, I also have three jobs. Like I find it impossible to find a spare day, let alone just an hour to actually read or learn about money. So sometimes it comes down to finding that expert or that person in your life who can actually help you manage those things for you. Like you said, you hired an accountant to help you get your start and help you actually understand. The biggest thing is finding someone that you trust that can actually help you take that step to be able to manage that much money if it's coming your way. Because hands down, the most common questions I get from women are, you know, how do I manage money with my partner? How do I plan for a family? Um, How do I start investing? Um, many of them are just starting out with their money and they don't realize that they should be doing more to save for their future. And so it's just about simplifying those basics of finance so that when that wealth transfer does happen, we are prepared and we are ready and we do feel confident to actually take the next steps.
1: Yeah, I I definitely agree on all of those points. I think that for too long, uh, women haven't been a part of the conversation when it comes to the especially bigger ticket items in our life. Like you say, investing, those big decisions, maybe home ownership, you know, a lot of things um, that are other than the daily needs of a household. And, and our incomes are um, definitely making waves also. In talking about that, you mentioned that you have three jobs. So I want to talk about multiple income streams. And along with that, how women our building wealth because on your own blog um, and in your book, you talk about Canada's side hustle business economy and it's booming and that individuals need to increasingly look for financial and professional fulfillment um, and personal fulfillment that may not be present in their primary career. And of course, it also helps that they have side hustles on multiple income streams in today's day and definitely in the future. So, you know, this definitely wasn't something common in previous generations, or I would even say growing up for myself. I'm 41 years old now. And when I started, you know, university, I can definitely say that nobody was talking about having multiple careers, having other income streams. My family, my parents even said, great, you'll have a nine to five as a you know oil and gas engineer, you'll make a good salary, you'll have a pension. You know, back then everybody thought they would. So <laughs> who knows? You have a healthcare plan. Like it wasn't a thought. And now the millennials and, you know, um, our kids definitely will not be taught that by us, but also the world around them, that they will have only one job, one career. And that is what has to fulfill them financially and personally. And so talk to me about maybe what you are seeing and how you feel uh, that people should approach that topic. For sure. Well...
0: You said it all there. Like, we know how expensive life is. It's just getting more and more expensive. And we also just are experiencing a massive shift with this pandemic where we had security, and that maybe is slipping away from us, and it's a scary thing to feel. And it's shifted how we look at life and definitely how we look at money. Because I think it's really hard to find a balance between work and living your life and doing all of the things that you want to do and having time for those things. And I think that we all want that we see it, people that are doing that online, we expect that we can have all of those things. So we're attempting to do everything all at once so that we can provide this dream life, whether it's for us or for our kids or anyone else that we love. And sometimes that can be a little bit unhealthy. We all try and do too much at once and we put everything on one plate and we can't manage that. But if you can properly manage multiple streams of income, it's a game changer. If you can set yourself up to build wealth passively by doing things like investing or finding a side hustle that you love that doesn't feel like a super big strain on your everyday life, um, you can give yourself the things that you need and you can still have time, which is what money actually provides us with, is space and time to do the things we love. So for me, Things really shifted when I had a kid. Mm. And I think that that is what's happening with a lot of women in particular, because although parenting is amazing, it also really affects your career. And you lose time in the industry. You can't gain those hours back without putting in double the amount of work. But I think we have to remember that you don't want to regret spending too much of your time at work. So you have to find a way to better yourself financially. And for me, that was multiple streams of income. That was having passive income coming in so that if I lost my job tomorrow or if I decided I wanted to take time off to be with my family, that I could do that, that that was an option.
1: Well, as Dolly Parton famously said, don't get busy making a living and not live a life. Right. Exactly. Um, and and I agree with you because there are sacrifices, of course, that have to be made and that will be made if you do have multiple streams of income, because they too take time and energy, let's face it, in order to do anything properly and nothing is yes. going to be successful to begin with. So how long did you take in order to say that, OK, my job number two and number three um, are going to actually be viable and are worth the time and the energy that I'm putting into them?
0: Yeah. So that's a great question. And at first I just had the typical nine to five. I think it's something comfortable for me. I, I never want to get rid of that because it does provide me that security and that feeling of safety. Um, and then I found my blog and it was something that was just a passion and a hobby, but within three years it turned into an actual way to make money. And I was able to make money just by doing five to 10 extra hours of work each week which was great for me. And from there, I was able to make you know products that were digital that I didn't have to actually do anything over and over and over again. They sell, you make them once and you sell them. So that's one stream of passive income that's like, I did the work, it was really hard, but it paid off in the money that I'm earning still from those hours I worked years ago. Mm. So it's kind of like, what can you find today that's going to be hard now for the short term, but that's going to pay off in the long term that you actually do have that time.
1: And, and it kind of goes along with any entrepreneurship kind of guidelines that, you know, um, many of us have been hearing for a very long time. It's that sweet spot of three to five years where you see a return on your investment and, and your investment is definitely money, time and energy to see whether or not it's a winner. And good to know that, you know, uh, those those basic principles still kind of as timelines still exist.
0: Yeah, and I was just going to say too, there there are so many different types of streams of income that people don't really understand what they are or don't realize what they are that we actually probably have way more than we think. If you have a full-time job, that is one. If you have your money in a high-interest savings account, you're getting some kind of passive income. It's not great, but it's something. Um, if you invest your money, you get capital gains back on that. If you have a rental property, that's another source of income. There are so many avenues that you can take to actually start building up sources of income so that if something happens, you're prepared.
1: Right. Absolutely. And so as you mentioned that women are not only inheriting a large share of wealth, but they're also building their own. And so do you think that women require a unique approach as it relates to managing their money?
0: Well, I think women are not, everyone requires a unique approach. Mm -hmm. They say personal finance is personal for a reason. We all kind of have Mm -hmm. different things that we need for ourselves and we all have different lives and backgrounds that kind of bleed into how we manage money as adults. But for females in particular, I think it's more of a personal approach to how we manage our money. It's more emotional in a good way. Like We have a trusted person in our life that can make us help us make those really good decisions, that's key for women, I think, um, is the trust factor. Uh, It's not always about how can I make the most money possible in the shortest amount of time. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's how can I make sure everyone I love is taken care of and doesn't have to worry, including ourselves, Um, because it's a lot of work to manage everyone in your life. And you want to find a way to make money more approachable and straightforward than a hurdle to tackle, because I think that's what a lot of women see when they see money is like, Oh, it's just something else I have to worry about. And I don't have the time. But I think if you have that trusted person in your life that can help break it down and make it easier for you, then you're ready and you're more willing and you're more open to actually managing money and building
1: wealth. And and how much importance do you put on building a plan and a living plan um, because things can change? Absolutely.
0: The most important thing for me is building a plan for my future. Uh, So that I can do all of the things I want to do. I think for so long I was focused on right now and getting rid of my debt and starting to build savings that I forgot that I wanted to plan for things that I wanted to experience like traveling with my kids and getting the time to do those things and making sure that they were set up for college and actually having enough in retirement so that I wasn't a burden on my kids. All of those things really start to matter once you actually have control over your basic day-to-day finances. But you need to start worrying about that stuff now. The future comes a lot faster. Like I just told you, my kid's already one month old. I feel like just yesterday I brought him home from the hospital, and it's like suddenly I'm worrying about... Is RESP now, so it happens really quickly, and I think it's so important to have a plan for sure.
1: Yeah, um, definitely. And uh, once again, congratulations on your newborn. (laughs) Um, You're a a busy mom for sure. So thanks again for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, And so. And, you know, in listening to you and thinking about where um, maybe men think about um, their primary goal often when it comes to money, um, it can be sometimes about long-term life goals. Um, but I think that everybody now, men and women, are thinking more about preparing for life's emergencies, because sometimes you don't really know what is coming um, down the pipeline, whether it be with health, whether it be with family. So, you know, it is definitely, I think, something that is on top of mind for everybody more and more these days. So hand in hand, uh, preparing for those life goals and dreaming of what you would like in the future, but those life emergencies. So what would you have, can you say, I guess, um, how your financial uh, goals maybe have changed since you become a parent and that your life circumstances have changed in recent years?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, For me, the financial emergencies is something that's super important to me. I think we all experienced some kind of a shock moment um, during the pandemic. My husband was actually laid off at the start of the pandemic. And in that moment, while it was scary for us, we were relieved because we had saved for something like that. We had an emergency fund um, and those types of things that we used to never think about are so, so important now. And we have an emergency fund for everything in our life that's big, a big asset, whether that's your job or your house or your car or your health. Those are things that we think about and that we've saved for. And I think a lot of people should save for. Um, And when you have a baby or you start a family or you have someone in your life that you have to provide for financially. It's scary because it's costly to navigate. Um, and it's not easy to precisely like pinpoint how much you need for those types of things, because things can change. Like when I found out I was pregnant, I made a massive list of all these expenses that I should prepare for and how much I would need to top up on maternity leave. Um, and that's helped save me a ton of stress, but, Oddly enough, money was the one thing in parenting that I felt like I could control because it's so much more straightforward than, is my baby going to like this bassinet that cost me an arm and a leg? <laughs> so I think to one thing that you should remember if you are starting a family or you are caring for someone financially is that life goes in stages. So in one stage of life, you may have to contribute less to your retirement fund because you have to pay for daycare. And that's just a reality that you have to face. But you have to remember that in the next stage of life, you won't have those daycare expenses. And then you can start to rebuild that retirement fund. Okay. So if you're having a hard time financially, just cut yourself some slack sometimes mm-hmm. and remind yourself that things do go in chunks. It doesn't have to be everything all at once. Um, just be mindful of your numbers, those what comes in and what goes out to make sure that you're still in line and that you're not overspending. Because that's sometimes the best thing to remember is just focus on what you need today. It's, it's hard not to think about the future, but sometimes we don't have a choice.
1: Right. Uh, absolutely. You know, I remember when I had my first daughter and I too Googled, how much does it cost to have a kid? Uh, <laughs> and I saw, oh, $10, to $15,000 a year. And I thought, are you kidding? Like after the initial, like what do... And then you, st- you start building it in. In some cases, like you say, it's more, it's less. It's based on your decisions, but also um, having a plan to understand that yeah, um, it, it can get expensive, but it can change. And then it, it, a lot of those decisions are up to you. Some are not in your control, as you say, but it is important to to have a plan. And I'm a big goal setter and a big planner in my business. And um, per- personally, I definitely did, you know, one year, five year personal goals, but it definitely mm-hmm. changed once I had a family. They were much more short term. And so, I think that it's okay to understand that things can change and I think many of us are also having to realize that our parents are going to be, in some cases, you know, a responsibility at certain different ages and at at different parts of our life. Um, And and for many people, that is becoming a reality also like during the pandemic, but also in the future because they are living longer. And in some cases, they might not have savings. And and like you say, life is getting costlier for everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it is important to have that, you know, Uh, rainy day life emergency fund, because there are so many emergencies that we aren't in control of.
0: Yeah. Well, none of them, they're all just, it's a shock every time it happens. But if you have, even if you just start putting $20 a week away, Mm. you'll be surprised how when something happens, like you pop a tire on the way into work one day that you're like, oh, it's actually not that big of a deal because I have $500, $600 stashed away for this specific moment. Right. Right. Absolutely.
1: I think it's safe to say that as women are attaining financial roles and responsibilities that are taking them, you know, past the just the household budget, that they also need to become financial advisors um, once they, like yourself, have learned what it works for them. What the what um, kind of unveiling the secrecy behind money, peeling <laughs> the onion back, and and so what do you think needs to happen in order to make a career in financial services more attractive to women? Because the numbers are pretty dire right now. There's only about 23% of financial advisors in Canada that are women. And that's pretty low. And it's not increasing um, at the rates that our women's wealth is increasing. And so Mm -hmm. what do you think needs to change? Uh, What would you, would you tell other women um, about getting into this industry?
0: Yeah, I I love that we're even having this conversation because I wish that more people were open to the idea of jumping into finance. I think they need to give it more of a chance because I really do believe that it is an intimidation factor. Mm. I think we're made to believe that personal finance is is just a bunch of jargon. Like We hear things like RRSP and TFSA and RESP, but we aren't really told what those things mean um, and what they can provide. Not just like, this is what a TFSA is and you can save money in this account and invest for your future. But hey, this TFSA can actually provide you with security and a sense of permanence in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, If we can kind of get over that mindset that it's really complex and start breaking down what personal finance really is, which is an opportunity to provide yourself with freedom and time then I think maybe more women would be open to the idea. I think if you frame it as in like, look at all of these things you can achieve in your future or in someone else's future, if you take control of them, that that would be a really big eye-opener.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I also think that the idea that um, any career is just male or male-dominated or just female or exclusive to any gender, for that matter, um, needs to be thrown out the window. Because as you say, it's every individual is different um, as to you know what our needs are, how we approach um, specific topics, definitely such as money, and what we actually want to understand at a certain point point in her life. Because I can say, you know, I never knew until it was too late for a lot of things, um, such as capital gains. Uh, I think everybody should know that because hopefully, you know, uh, everybody has some investments at some point that make some money and they need to be able to handle that. Um, And as you get older, a plan is super important, but to understand The decisions that you can make along the way early on, in some cases later, um, in order to to ease those financial burdens, but also just give you control, which is really fantastic. That I think that so many uh, people find daunting when it comes to that, but also that it's a very viable career path that has so many different titles, so many jobs within, um, a financial advisor. I, I, I always used to think me to myself that that's one little box, but no, it's mm-hmm. not. There's so many different aspects to being a financial advisor and what your specialty can be. So uh-huh. what would you call your specialty?
0: Uh, I think just taking what those experts provide for you mm-hmm. and, Making it digestible. Like when you go into any type of financial organization, I think the most important thing is that you can find someone that looks like you or has a similar life to you so that you know that they can relate to you, so that they know you know they understand what you need in life. And if we don't have those people available, That's what makes us walk away from those moments and feel like it's not for me. This place isn't safe for me. This place isn't comfortable for me. So I want other women who are in their 20s and 30s to come into my space and say, oh, wow, there are people that look like me, that think like me, that have lives like mine. And then they can say, you know what? I'm going to find someone who can help me take control of this because I want to be that kind of funnel for people so that, that I can push them to those experts that do have the knowledge and that do have the certifications, because I think you need those certifications to yeah. actually provide that that information to someone um, so that they actually feel comfortable going and doing it. Because a lot of us are intimidated to even just make that phone call because we think it's not for us.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I, I do agree that you need to find somebody that has that holistic you of you as their client and that they understand your life and that you're willing to share your life with them and that they occupy the same space often in society but are just really acutely aware often of your socioeconomical, you know, position, what your goals are, but there is this trust that you're able to share that because unless a financial advisor can get that um, whole view of everything that is going on in your life, um, it's really hard for them to give you the appropriate advice and help you build a plan. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, like you say, it's so important just as we do with, you know, doctors and, or, you know, (laughs) your facialist or your manicurist, (laughs) it's important to do your research, but then also to know that the first person you go to doesn't have to be the person you stick to. Like you do need to find Mm -hmm. somebody who you are comfortable with, who you trust and who you in a lot of cases can maybe make the long haul with.
0: It's almost like your home. It's like it need. it's a big asset or they're taking control of your biggest assets. Mm. So you need to be able to trust them and find comfort in the things that they're saying to you. And, and we need to listen to people more and force those difficult conversations so that women do feel like, Oh, this person totally understands what I need. And this is something that I can achieve with their help. And I'm not worried about my future anymore.
1: Right. So when it comes to building budgets, what do you see as uh, the biggest hurdles from women? The biggest no-nos, the biggest, yes, please do right now.
0: Oh, that's a great one. I think that for women, a lot of it is, what they think that they're supposed to do, not what they want to do. So what society kind of tells us we should be spending our money on or not. Um, I'm one of the people that believes that, you know, if you love things like facials and manicures and pedicures, that you should be able to work that into your budget, that that's okay. that those kind of expenses, if they're important to you, then they fit and there is a place and you can find a place for them. Um, But I also believe that, you know, budgets are difficult and having someone kind of Tell you that those things are okay to budget for is important and just kind of understanding overall like what your what your money's purpose is and what your why is because that's a huge thing for me is the emotional side of budgeting is we don't really realize how much our emotions dictate how we spend money and what we use our money for. So definitely learning those cues. And accepting that it's okay to spend money on the things that you love as long as you budget for it mm-hmm. and as long as that you set a proper plan for that stuff.
1: I completely agree. I think that where people fall apart sometimes is but in budgeting when it's too restrictive. Mm-hmm. And then they just blow it out of the park and they don't look at it at all. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. There needs to be some flexibility. There needs to be some you know some splurges that, well, that you don't you you don't feel bad about but then you recognize that this is a splurge those impulsive buys like we're bombarded with marketing and with like you said earlier social media that makes us want for a lot more things now um mm-hmm. that that it's okay to use uh, your emotions and have emotions about um, material things or about you know experiences um and and not feel bad about it
0: yeah, of course. Like everything in our life revolves around money, so it's it's kind of silly to think that the way you're feeling that day isn't going to kind of leak into how you spend your money. Like when I'm having a bad day or when I'm tired from not getting a good night's sleep, I'm going to buy the coffee. It's inevitable. So, I might as well budget for it.
1: <laughs> right, very true. And so, how much do you talk about money with family, with friends? Uh do you how did you become comfortable with it, because I can say most people, even amongst you know spouses or family, um, never mind friends or colleagues, really don't talk about it, and they find it um, to be one of those you know taboo topics. So, how did you become comfortable with it?
0: Yeah, I I really do think that that is the case. Like for me, it was easier to tell the entire internet that I had debt than it was to tell my best friend. Oh, right. um, so And I think that that's really normal yep. to feel embarrassed to talk to your closest friends and family about those types of issues. But I also believe that as soon as I started talking about it, I quickly realized that everyone was in the same boat. And mm-hmm. as soon as you kind of opened the door to have those conversations, it suddenly became OK to talk about all the time. And it also helped us all get kind of more acquainted and more comfortable with our own money. Mm-hmm. Like I have friends that work in a similar industry. So as soon as we started stock, uh, started talking about salary, we were helping each other because we knew how much we should be earning. Yeah. Um, and so having those types of conversations with your friends and family, although they're super difficult and super uncomfortable, that will never go away. I think they're really, really important because making money transparent in every sense of your life is is so, so great. One of the actually hardest things I ever did, but the best thing I ever did, was I had a dentist appointment. You know how expensive dentists can be. (laughs) I went in. I was still paying off my debt, so I didn't have a ton of extra cash at the time. And I was embarrassed, but I decided I was going to say something and say, before you do any services today, I need to know how much each of them cost. Mm. And from there, I'll let you know whether or not I'll be getting those services today. And it was embarrassing for me, um, which I felt like it shouldn't be embarrassing. So I forced myself to say something. And instead of shaming me or doing anything like that, she said, that's no problem. I'm gonna put a note on your file that will do that for you moving forward. And suddenly it was like this huge weight lifted off my shoulders knowing that anytime I came to the dentist, I wouldn't have to worry that I was going to pay for something unexpectedly. And so that moment was kind of like this, okay, this is actually really empowering to tell people that I'm struggling with money or that I'm doing great with money because finally it feels like there's someone on my team and that understands what I'm going through.
1: I absolutely love that example because, I, you're empowering and taking charge of what you're spending, and I mm-hmm. absolutely agree with you. It shouldn't be embarrassing to ask how much something costs, and I think that it it is something that um, in our society that we are not used to. It's not like that around the world. Definitely mm-hmm. not in this society, though. In the world that we live in, in North America, we don't ask. We just assume a lot of different ways, and after often when we get the bill, um, you know, we don't we don't often speak up even if we can't afford it and or say that you know that wasn't my understanding that's you know, and or can I negotiate this beforehand mm-hmm. is better than after. Um, but I'm a big, big believer in negotiation, always have been. It's um, yes. yes, definitely one of the keys to my success. And I do always tell people like everything is up for negotiation. You would be surprised. Everything from your bank fees to your dentist bill to just everything in your life. Don't You don't have to take it as it comes. And you can ask questions. You can ask yes. questions. It's your money. Um, and I think that, that that is so empowering once you determine that it is your money. It mm-hmm. is not their entitlement um, to take that from you without justifying it.
0: Yes. I love all of what you just said. Like I want to print it out and frame it on my wall because <laughs> that
1: is, you nailed it. That is exactly what I think. Well, thank you so much for being so transparent. Um, any last words of advice for our listeners? Because you've really simplified, I think, such a tough ta- Complicated topic, financial well-being, and and so I really do uh, appreciate it. So, anything uh, that you'd like to share that I haven't touched on?
0: Well, thank you. I'm I'm really glad we got to have this conversation. And I think while we're on the topic of like that feeling of shame and that feeling of embarrassment around money, I'll just leave with the, you know, unlike most things we work towards, most goals we work towards, getting your financial life together, it feels like the least rewarding sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, because typically your progress is hidden. You don't share with people and you don't tell people, or you finally pay off a little bit of debt, but all you see is like, well, I still have this much debt to go. So it can feel really defeating, but as someone who's been there and is still occasionally going through my own version of financial struggle, because it's never, it just doesn't stop like that. Um, it's a slow grind and it's a process to get your money together, but I will tell you that it is so worth the time that it takes. And if you can find someone that you trust to help you on that journey, you will be so much better off
1: for it. can not agree more, Uh, definitely. And I like that you say that it is something that is constant, it's not finite, in that if you figure it out today, it doesn't stop. And so that's a good Mm -hmm. thing though, um, because it means that it can change for the better too. Yes, exactly. I'm the optimist, always (laughs) happy. I (laughs) love it. (laughs) Um, So thank you so much, uh, Alyssa, for joining us today and talking about making money transparent. Um, And thanks for everyone for tuning in. I encourage you to find the wealth in your own stories. And remember, when it comes to wealth planning, stop wishing that you had done it more earlier and just start. This podcast has been presented by IG Wealth Management, and you can learn more by visiting ig.ca slash women, and can also find that link in the description of this episode.
0: This has been A Wealth of women's Stories, hosted by Manjeet Minhas and presented by IG Wealth Management. The views, information and opinions expressed are those of the featured guests and not those of IG Wealth Management.